Welcome to episode number eight of the most hated F word, how paying off your mortgage in your thirties changes everything with my guest, Andy Hill. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the most hated F word podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Thanks for tuning in to the most hated F word. I'm excited for you to hear this conversation I had with Andy Hill. He's the host of his own podcast, Marriage, Kids, and Money. Our conversation stems from how paying off his mortgage in his mid-30s really changed everything for his family, how having budget parties with his wife dramatically helped them get on the same page with their finance and how to properly communicate with each other. He also talks about how to be an entrepreneur and still maintain a good family balance as family is a big, important tenant in Andy's life. And we also talk about Andy's and his family's favorite karaoke songs. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Welcome to the most hated F word. I am pleased to have a guest by the name of Andy Hill. Today, we're going to talk about the most hated F word, which is, of course, is finance. But before I let Andy in on the conversation, I do want to give a background because Andy is a podcast host, and I've been listening to his podcast for almost a year now, and I really, really enjoy it. So here's his official background. Andy Hill is the host of Marriage, Kids, and Money podcast, which focuses on helping young families build wealth. This five-star rated podcast was nominated as the best new personal finance podcast by Plutus Outside of writing for his own weekly blog of the same name. He has been featured in Business Insider, Market Watch, NBC News, trusted as a personal finance influencer by brands such as Quicken Loans, Tiller, is that right? Tiller, yeah. Tiller, yeah. and Credit Sesame. Andy's message of family financial empowerment has resonated with listeners, readers, and viewers across the U.S. When he's not talking about money, Andy enjoys wrestling with his two kids and singing 80s karaoke songs with his wife. Welcome to the show, Andy. And what songs do you guys like to sing? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, Sean. I love, I love that introduction. I appreciate it. And yes, we are all about karaoke in our family. While my kids, you know, have gone through Disney phase and Pokemon phase, things like that, they've, they've graduated to new pop songs. So I'm trying to learn all the pop songs that my, my daughter likes. But, but we, Nicole and I like to, I like to do Billy Joel. That's my favorite. Nice. Uh, a lot of those types of songs. And uh, Nicole's always bringing me back to this, this century. Uh, at this decade with some of her songs. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> nice. Just a side note of 80s music. Uh, I'm a big Springsteen fan. Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, I mean, that guy spans across many decades. But um, being a new stay-at-home dad with this COVID-19, my son and I, who's four, we recorded our first Springsteen music video. Awesome. That's great. That was that was fun. Yeah. A lot of... Uh, Where can we find this music video? I got a YouTube channel. I'm going to post it on there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun. But yeah, so Andy, I, I've been listening to your podcast. And the reason why I want to bring you on is because I'm a family guy. I have two kids. And I really like how your podcast has a focus on, as your word, strengthening the family tree. And in this day and age of information overload, we get a lot of different information about personal finance, which is good. But I often find that 
it's information and there's not really a context of why we're talking about it behind it. And as a financial planner, I often see people saying the same things. I want to save, but I can't save. I want to pay off my credit cards, but I can't pay them off. And then we, you know, we give them information. They have all the information in their fingertips, but they just don't do it. And I think it's because that why is gone and or not gone, sorry, isn't there. And what I appreciate about your podcast and your approach is from my perception, a direct why about strengthening your family tree. So I'm not going to put words in your mouth. My first question for you though, is why are you doing your podcast and why do you make money? Great questions. Uh, well, the reason I do my podcast is that I want to do work that helps people that also fulfills, I guess, a passion that I have towards helping families thrive. It's something that I have personally been on a mission to for my family as well, just trying to figure out how I can give my family the best life possible. And I thought, well, while I'm on that mission, wouldn't that be cool to help other families in the same sense? So that's why I do the podcast. And I'm sorry, what was your second question? My second one was, why do you make money? So we have like this finite of time in our life. Like Vicki Robbins had said, we trade our time for money. So if you have a financial why, so to speak, what would it be? Well, originally when I was making money, it was to, I guess, help my family get to the next level. Uh, Lately, I've been making money to provide for my family and then also to craft a schedule that allows me to do the things that I want to do in life. Uh, and part of that is work. I, I love my work now. Um, so I'm able to craft time and make money to do the passion work that I'm doing, but also to know when work stops at the end of the day at five or on the weekends, you know, and dedicate that time back to the family. I used to have a career that, you know, maybe travel around a little bit more and I was gone sometimes on some special occasions. So I'm very happy to be where I am today and making the money that I'm making in order for me to enjoy the life I have. So you mentioned about how you're working before. And um, I, I think it's phenomenal when we can align what we do to make money with a passion or something we enjoy. It really allows us to flourish, so to speak. Maybe walk us through, if there's someone listening out there who... Maybe they don't necessarily like their job. Maybe they don't, or they have another creative passion they want to go and strive for. What steps did you take to help you? And I know I've listened to your podcast, so I'm kind of familiar, but maybe share like, what steps did you take to finally take this on as a full-time endeavor? Because I often find we have two camps, so to speak. It's like, uh, your passions can never make money. You can never do your passions. Go grind it out for 30 years and hopefully you enjoy it at 65. There is a balance to that. And there's some truths to both sides too, right? I mean, you could have a really big passion for playing video games, but maybe you can't figure out how to make money from it. There's a lot of people making good money from playing video games lately, which is cool. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, maybe the two sides don't meet, or maybe you really have a passion towards something that you're creative to, but you don't want to ruin it by making it your day job, right? So there's a lot of balance with that. But for me, I had a really bad day at work like four years ago, and there was some management changes. I originally had this job where I was in a management role, and I was managing this team of three that I had built up from from nothing. You know, we won all this business. And I felt really great because I was, you know, earning business for the company and I was helping people get jobs. And that made me feel really cool. And that made me feel great, you know. And then one day we got new management. They came in and they said, all right, well, you are not on this team anymore. You're over here. And the people who are reporting to you are not reporting to you anymore. So you don't have a team and you're on this guy's team and, and good luck. It was not like, uh, hey, how do you feel about this? What's the good transition? It, it was kind of jarring to me at that moment. And 
I had been in the industry for almost 15 years at that point. And I just sort of had this moment of reflection being like, I don't really have control of my my future. Uh, somebody else does. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It's okay to be an employee. But at that point in my life, I'm like, I think I'd like something else that I do have control over. Uh, let me let me figure that out. So I had been listening to podcasts for a while and I liked them and I love always, I've always loved talking about money. It's just something I've liked to talk about since I was a kid. <laughs> so I figured, well, why don't I start one? I, I have some things to share about our lives, things to share about things we've done as a family. And then I can learn a ton from a bunch of other people who are doing some really amazing things with money. So that's where it started. I kind of just said, well, let me give it a shot. And that was four years ago. And it was a slow roll of growth from then. In order for me to feel confident to leave my job, I started it as a, as a side hustle. We're really just a hobby in the beginning. I wasn't making any money. I didn't realize you could make money with it. And then a year in, I figured out how to make a little bit of money from sponsorships and partnerships and things like that with brands that I know, like, or trust. And from there, it started to build. I started to do some other things, some coaching and some advertising revenue started to come in. I'm like, okay, well, this could be a thing. I don't have enough money just quite to leave my job yet because I'm only doing this part-time, but why don't I save a bunch of money and then really take a big leap with it? So what I did was save up about 12 months of expenses and we had been completely debt-free at that point. So we had no debt, you know, no car payments, nothing like that, no, no mortgage payments anymore either. So our expenses were quite low and we had 12 months of expenses uh, set aside in a savings account. So my wife was the one who kind of nudged me along to saying, hey, buddy, you've been talking about this for a while. <laughs> just go do it. And I, I thank her for that. Nice. Uh, and so we did. And that was just a couple months ago in January. I, I took the leap and I have been an entrepreneur since then. And there's been a lot of crazy things that have happened yeah. recently, <laughs> but uh, things are going well. March was uh, the highest revenue month I've had so far and it's looking pretty real. So life's good. Oh, man. Good for you. Yeah, that is so four short years. Real, I mean... They probably weren't short for you, but uh, four years and doing what you, you, you yeah. love and something that you said, which over the last few years, I've really started to identify what are my core values? What are my values that I want to use as a lens to make decisions? And one is to control my time. And you touched on like control. So this manager redirected you to a new position, but now you have control. This leads me into something that is amazing for what you and your family have done is, correct me if I'm wrong, but at 35, maybe you took your mortgage out at 30 and within five years, you guys paid off your mortgage. So mortgage-free at 35 years old is phenomenal. Thank you. So congrats on that. And when I say control, it's, I mean, the origins of debt in and itself are to control somebody. Um, so I want to dive into this concept of paying off your mortgage. And there are some obvious benefits. You save a ton in interest. You don't have that mortgage payment in, anymore. But what I'm really interested in is some of the unexpected things that have come as a result of paying off your mortgage. And I think it would be great to start with the current economic condition right now. We know COVID-19 is happening. Yeah, I'm going to just stop there and let you comment on what, what is it like having no mortgage when you hear about COVID-19 and the economic crisis coming forward? Very relieving. My, my wife said it best. She saw me in the kitchen one day and she said, I haven't thanked you recently. And I just want to thank you for you preparing for this moment that we didn't even know was coming. Mm. And that was, I'm a, I'm a words of affirmation guy. So when my wife stopped me and said, 
those words, it really made me feel good. I'm like, oh, thank you, buddy, because <laughs> I have been ner- nerding out for quite a while to for this yeah. moment. But yeah, no, we um, we were able to pay off our mortgage early in less than five years through a lot of partnership with my wife. You know, living on fifty percent of our income, or or sometimes more, sometimes less, and being able to not worry about if we're gonna if my family's gonna be safe and we're, if we're gonna be able to pay the mortgage is just it's fantastic. Uh, it's it's a feeling that. I never thought we would be able to have, and we have it now, and we're in the situation where it's really needed. You know, sometimes it feels hyperbole to be like, nobody's ever going to take my house away, and and now I have, a, you know, my mortgage is paid off. And now, lately, it feels like I'm really glad nobody's going to take my house away. <laughs> and yeah. So, so yeah, it feels yeah. it feels great. So you said living in a partnership. I kind of want to explore that a bit more. So, what lessons did you learn along the way with communication? with your spouse in terms of this goal. And maybe you could start off, it sounds like it was your goal to pay off that mortgage. So how did you guys come to a common ground to have this come to fruition? Originally, I think it was 2013, my wife was ready to move out of my bachelor pad. So we had we had moved in together in 2010 when we got married and she moved into my place begrudgingly being like, all right, well, let's let's live here for a little while and then you know, we'll get the real thing after that. So 2013 came around, we were uh, pregnant with our second child and she's like, all right, let's, let's start looking, pal. And I'm like, oh, I don't really want to, you know, the bigger house means bigger mortgage means more pressure for me at work in a industry and job I'm not really already in love with. What can we do to make this work for both of us? Because yeah, I'd like it. I'd like a nicer house, you know, I, I, I like the bachelor pad, but a nicer house would be nice. So we figured out a way to kind of do both uh, instead of, you know, me saying, no, 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 we're staying in this house or her saying, yes, we're moving for sure. We figured out a way for us to, you know, both have a win-win. And our agreement was, Let's get the house and let's pay it off in five years. And so that would require us to be aggressive with our savings and work together and meet on a monthly basis for our budget party to review the numbers. But that was the agreement that we came to. And that helped her to get her dream house that she always wanted. And it helped me to get the mortgage-free life and the ability to craft our day and eventually not have to work in a position that I didn't want to work in. So that partnership, that partnership that we had together and meeting once a month for our budget parties, living on 50% of our income, you know, and, and saving when we needed to, because there was a point where she went from full-time uh, employee to full-time stay-at-home mom, and that cut our income quite a bit. So there were times that we had to crunch down. We weren't saving as much, but we found different ways to save. So that partnership, the open communication we had, and, you know, being able to work through the tough spots was, I think, our key to success. So you, you talked about your budget parties, and I know I've heard you talk a lot about it on your podcast, and I'm going to get to that. But I want to stay on this mortgage here for a bit. So it certainly sounds like that freedom, and I like how you said the ability to, uh, to craft our schedules. And that goes to the same idea of more control. And the more or less debt we have, the more control we, we have. There's some tangible tips that you just mentioned, saving on or going down to 50% of your income, having those budget parties, telling your wife that you can compromise getting this house by paying it off in five years. Just <laughs> what, what, what I'm interested in, in, in behavioral finance, there's like cognitive bias that we always talk about. Hmm. And there's the relativity bias, which is we make decisions based on things that are relative. So usually when we hear friends, family buy mortgages, it's a, in Canada, at least it's a 25 year amortization period. Mm-hmm. So that's usually a relative in our mind that is it fighting against us 
The other one is uh, anchoring. So anchoring the cognitive biases, you see a certain price or a certain number and you fixate on that. And that's your like foundation. So again, in Canada, it's 25 year mortgage. So our brains are fighting against us to do anything beyond this 25 years. What brought you to the point to be, I know you kind of touched on it, but how do you move to saying, I want to pay this off in five years and I'm going to save 50% of our income. Most people think it's not possible. So can you speak from a point of me saying to you, come on, Andy, how is that possible? Five years and 50%? Well, first, I want to recognize the privileged situation that we've been in over the past nine years of our relationship. During that time period, we averaged a household income of $190,000. So we are privileged to be able to have made that much money, honestly. And that's a big part of the reason we were able to pay it off fast. Yeah. Uh, the second privilege that we have is that we've been very healthy throughout that whole time. I know a lot of families struggle with health complications. And here in the United States, when you have health complications and you're not you know, properly insured, you can, be, you can be out. You can be out some money, which is a shame. And especially during this, this season that we're going through right now, if people are getting, uh, getting sick. So I just want to recognize that privilege before I talk about any of the other you know, things that we've been able to have. Yeah, I would say that a lot of it was communication between the two of us. We made a goal. And that was the first thing, setting aside the goal, saying, all right, you want the house. I want the debt-free life. This is our agreement and let's stick to it. And setting the goal is was the first step. And I think it's a big step for a lot of people because as you know, Sean, if we just say, hey, I want to be rich or I want to be a millionaire, it's not specific enough or it's not tangible enough for it to actually happen. But by setting aside and saying, hey, we want to create a smart goal and say, we want to pay off this $195,000 mortgage in five years or less. And we're going to do it by these methodologies. It becomes a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. And yeah, when you set goals, things change, you know, aspirations change, goals change, things like that. So you got to be flexible throughout the process. But I think by us getting together on a monthly basis and reviewing our budget, we use Mint, which is a fantastic tool that we love that keeps things in line for us by meeting and adjusting things as necessary when income would go up or income would go down, we were able to do that. So I would say when we're able to meet together, keep that communication going and then have that flexibility throughout the process, it's, it's, been, it's been the way we did it. Okay. On communication then, and, and I, I appreciate you recognizing the, the sense of privilege and that's something that me and my wife always talk she challenges me on that all the time. Whenever we have money conversations, we always got to know where we started in terms of the running blocks. So yeah. appreciate that. So communication, it's so important in marriage. Anyone who's married understands that. And then when you throw in money, when we can't even communicate to ourselves, when we have, usually we have our own bad money relationships with ourselves, it just adds fuel to this necessity to communicate. But all of us come from a certain money story based on our upbringing. So I wonder if you can share what your money story was growing up. So what did, in your upbringing, what was money a source of? Was it a source of stress? Was it a source of excitement, of holidays, of happiness? And so the two things is what was the source? What source did money play? And what did you learn from your parents growing up about money? Yeah, I would say I learned a lot from my parents growing up. My mom was definitely somebody who taught me how to save and took pride in that. She was good at finding deals and, you know, <laughs> and things like that. She helped me open my first savings account. I think I was probably eight years old, uh, eight, 10 years oh, old. So wow. she, she taught me the importance of 
you know, helping around the house and saving your money. And with that savings, it can get you things that you want. So back then, you know, I was saving up for a toy or a video game system or my guitar or something like that. And then from my dad's side of things, he just showed me the, he showed me the value of hard work when you put your mind towards something and a goal, uh, how you can achieve it. And both my parents, they didn't grow up, you know, very wealthy. Uh, they grew up, you know, a little bit maybe poor and they took their family to the next level. And that inspired me. I'm like, wow, that's cool. Where you guys came from to where you are today. And I would like to honor that in the same fashion by strengthening our family tree, not changing our family tree, but strengthening it where, yeah, yeah. where it's gone. And um, so both my parents are still alive and I love them. Uh, I spend a lot of time with them. I still, I'm still learning from them. So their inspiration has helped me to get where I am today. And I, I feel like it's my duty as a part of that family to honor their hard work and take it to the next level. Nice. So Zoe is your daughter, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And Calvin? Yes, Zoe's eight and Calvin is five. All right. So let's fast forward 35 years from now yeah. when Zoe and Calvin are calling you on stage to do a presentation. <laughs> what, what, do you, what lessons would you like to have taught them about money and life that they can announce their dad coming on stage? Oh, what a good question. That's fun. Thank you for (laughs) I would love for them to invite me up on stage and say, thanks, dad. I I guess I would say to find a way to contribute and help in the world and do it in your own unique way. You know, my kids might not like talking about money or whatever, whatever the things that I like to do, but if they could find a way to take their talents as well as the things that just make them so passionate that they can't stop talking about it and bring that to the world. I think that would just, that would make me light up and any of the things that I've been trying to teach them and and personally learning myself is how to be a better giver. And that can be through your work. Mm -hmm. Uh, That can be through contribution, but also monetarily. I mean, if we have the opportunity to be blessed, like our family has been, what can we do to then be a blessing to other people and help them get to the next level that can be with our skills that can be with volunteering, that could be with our work, and that can also be through charitable giving. If anything, I would love to see my kids continue to grow in their ability to give back, both you know, in their talents as well as monetarily. Nice. I've heard you talk about on your show just some things you're doing with your kids around money. And I know you've talked about giving a portion away. What do you think right now at their age is the best thing you as a father can do to help role model money? Hmm. And and like, sorry, the relationship that you and your wife have with money, keep it in mind, they're not adults. Yeah, absolutely. I think the best thing we continue to do is just model good behavior with regard to money. And that can be in all sorts of fashions. So I like having an open environment when it comes to communicating about money, because I think Mm -hmm. that helps to make it less taboo. You know, maybe a lot of people grew up, I kind of, I grew up in the same fashion. I think that's just maybe decades ago where you don't talk about money. That's rude or mm-hmm. that's, it's, it's, it's odd or it's something I'd love to continue to break down that stigma because a lot of the things that we're told not to talk about very much, if we end up opening up about them a little bit, it can help a lot of people or it can make it less taboo. Totally. And there's, there's a reason there's so many people in debt or living paycheck to paycheck. It's because we're not talking about it enough in my opinion. So I think if my kids can grow up in an environment where they know it's okay to talk about money. And if somebody has a question about it, maybe they don't know the answer, but maybe they can help them ex- 
explore it together and figure it out, or at least look at alternative ways to do things. I think that might be a, a blessing in the future for their friends, their family, and anybody else they might come in contact with. Yeah, I mean, you say an open communication. I think so many different things. Communication is the key. And when your children at a young age feel comfortable and confident that they can ask mom and dad this question about money, I think it, as you're saying, help alleviates that taboo that we've so well packaged around money. And I think we don't need the answers, but we need them to be able to feel confident that they can come talk to mom and dad. There's so much research that shows like from three or four years old in our formative years, we start to learn the basis of money. And it, then it, those money stories psychologically play on autopilot as we grow older. And uh, I think playing that role of open communication is so important. So I think that's a big thing people can take away and take it all the way until they get married. Something yeah. I've heard you talk about, which I think, and we've talked about this for the last three interviews I've done, is <laughs> marriage counseling. So yeah. two taboos, counseling or therapy and money. <laughs> yes. And I just chatted with a financial therapist and it was just, it's fascinating to see a world that two things that are taboo collide. So this is kind of a two-part question, but you had your money story from your mom and dad. Yes. And your wife presumably had a different one because she had different parents. Yes. <laughs> and now you guys are coming together and we have that communication sometimes issue when there's two different money stories. So the first thing is when you first guys first started to come together, what was that money and finance communication did it look like? And how has counseling helped with that? In the beginning, it was uh, next to nothing. Well, we were madly in love with each other and I just thought she was beautiful and I laughed with her every time I got together with her and I did not think about those deep questions that I probably should be asking. Inherently, we did ask some of them, you know, uh, there's money questions behind, do you want to have kids? You know, what mm -hmm. if we have complications having kids? Do you want to adopt? I mean, those are not necessarily money questions, but they're life questions and they involve money. Mm -hmm. So we did have a lot of those types of questions. You know, we talk about what does fun mean to you? Is it vacations? Is it just, it's, you know, hanging out at the house? Is it time together? What does that mean to you? So a lot of those questions we came up in the beginning, but we didn't really talk about our dad or we didn't yeah. talk about, you know, my house that was underwater. Like I owed a, almost $200,000 on a house that was valued at $100,000 during the Great Recession. We didn't talk about a lot of those things because we were just in love. <laughs> <laughs> but those were things that were going to become her reality. And yeah, we eventually got into those conversations and she was so supportive. You know, I, I brought a lot of debt into the marriage and, and she was so supportive to help me to figure that out. And helped me to pay it off. And uh, as we started to grow our income together, uh, there was a lot of partnership around it. But yeah, there, since we did have two different money stories, there were combative moments too, where her version of what we should be doing with the money was different from my version of what we should be doing with the money. And usually the times we would have the big blowout fights were when we forgot about the other person's perspective and we thought mm, we were right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I, 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 it was probably more me than her, you know, where I'm like, well, no, this is the right, I've been reading a lot of books, <laughs> yeah. Nicole, didn't you know <laughs> how these books I read, this is what it says to do. And that doesn't matter. You know, that, that, that doesn't matter. It's what matters is what matters to her. Right. And, 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 and what matters to me. And so we figure out what way can we not do my way or the highway? What can we do to both be happy and figure out a way that it might not be exactly what I decided or exactly what she decided, but our version of, you know, a compromise or, or a way that we can both, you know, find a way that works for both of us. And 
when we're able to do that, when we're able to calm down and breathe and take some mm-hmm. time to really think about it from the other person's perspective, have that empathy, really put yourself in the shoes of the other person. That's when we're most successful. And when we're the least successful is when we, you know, shoot from the hip and I have my kids on my leg and I, I, I don't like what you said and you're mean and I don't like you. I'm rocking away. I'm not talking to you for a day. That's usually the time when we have trouble. And, and a lot of that happens when you got little kids because you don't have yeah. a lot of time to talk. You don't have the time to sit down and see it from the other person's perspective because you're tired and you don't want to deal oh, with yeah. trouble as well as kids, as well as working late hours and you're tired and, and you're not feeling good. And that's when a third-party coach can help. you know. And I call it a coach because sometimes that feels better than therapist or counselor. Yeah. <laughs> but really... In the beginning, when Nicole recommended, hey, maybe we should go see somebody to, to help us out here. Initially, my first reaction was, oh, man, I feel like our marriage is failing. You know, mm. that's, that feels like failure. But after I went through maybe one or two sessions, I'm like, wow, this is incredible. This is somebody who's helping us communicate better. Mm-hmm. It's like a physical trainer. If I want to get more you know, healthy and strong, bringing a, health, bringing a physical trainer in there to help me, that doesn't make me less of a person or a, no. a weakling. It just makes me investing in my health. So I feel like it's the same thing with um, marriage counseling or, or financial counseling like you talked about. Anybody can help you get to the place that you want to go. That's just a smart investment. That's a smart investment in your marriage. So we did counseling for, I think, about 18 months. And man, did it help us uncover a lot of things about each other, about our childhoods that I'd never really thought about. Like yeah. that, that really helped us to kind of get to that point of, okay, I'm going to dive deeper into this mode of empathy because uh, her way is not the wrong way. And my way is not the wrong way. It's just her way and my way. So what can we do to find our way? Mm-hmm. I so appreciate you being open. I, I certainly agree that people have a I guess a perspective on therapy and counseling. And um, I mean, my wife and I, we've, we've gone to uh, counseling as well. And the same notion passed my head. Oh my God, what is happening? We've got kids, this and that. And it was in the book Mastery by um, George Leonard. And he talks about how like, when you're trying to master something, you spend so much time in it and he gets you thinking all these like business goals and all these other things. And he's like, but what about your marriage towards the end of the book? And he's just like, no, we rarely focus on that. So I agree hundred percent. Any third party that can help you communicate better to the biggest investment of your life. Absolutely. Your spouse is, is phenomenal, but I need to touch on the word empathy. So the financial therapist that I was chatting to, so he's a CFP, so certified financial planner, and he's a certified counselor. And I asked him, what is the number one thing that couples you see, because he deals with couples for, in marriage for money. What's the number one thing that uh, they can use to build their wealth, build their communication? He's like empathy, the same context as you're saying. And I, I just have to chuckle as, as someone who has a CFP and read those finance books. When my wife and I got together, she's a nurse and oh, we mentioned that already. But uh, I was like, no, remember what I do? <laughs> like, This is right. But right. You're, I, I'm the expert. I know all yeah. this stuff. It's like, do you, pal? Do you? Yeah. <laughs> and when you said forget their perspective. I mean, rationally, it makes sense that if this is in her mind and I'm not recognizing it, there's no space for her to accept what I'm saying. But just the the, uh, the animal in us is just like, no, you got to listen. <laughs> exactly. But it's, all, it's also, you know, uh, thinking about it from the language that's coming out of your mouth, too. I'm more of a numbers and goals guy, like I want to be debt free, but that doesn't really mean much 
to my wife. What, what is debt free? What is that going to get to? What is that going to do for us? Oh, well, that'll mean that you'll be able to stay at home with our kids when, when Zoe comes into the world. Oh, okay. So ch- changing how I talk about money with her too helps when I go from a, uh, an emotional language as, a, as opposed to a numbers language, because mm-hmm. that's kind of how my brain works. Yeah. Oh, it would be cool to be a millionaire. Well, what does that mean for us? How does that help us get to where we want to go? And that's sort of to your original point of like, what's the end game here? What's the whole reason that we're doing a lot of this? And yeah, changing your, changing my way to speak to my wife has helped a lot. So your budget parties, I I love the the term budget party. I'd never heard it that way before. I would be like, okay, her name, my wife's Melissa. Okay, Melissa, it's time for a financial review. She's like, and like, she doesn't like those. And it's just the context that I've been trained in. This is a financial review. So explain to me and everyone else how we can uh, put some sprinkle on their financial review. Well, it was for that exact reaction, Sean, because I think originally I'm like, hey, let's get together and look at our budget. And then she's like, (laughs) oh, I roll, right? Well, okay, let us me call it a budget party. (laughs) And she at least thinks I'm cute for for adding the word party into it. But, you know, over time, if there's ways to make it more fun, like, for example, in the beginning, we would only have pizza when the budget party was happening. Nice. Or we would, you know, only sit down and then watch our favorite show afterward when we did the budget party. So that helped us to correlate a little bit of fun with the activity of looking over the numbers. And over time, my wife got into it. And she felt like when we were late on our budget party, or we didn't do it, we didn't look at the numbers. She felt like, hey, we got we to gotta do that. Because when we did the budget party, that talked about, hey, what we can spend this month on the fun stuff. So mm-hmm. she would always be like, yeah. All right, well, how much can I spend on clothing? How can I spend on, um, you know, home improvement? She loves making our house, you know, beautiful. And I love, I love living in our house. So those became sort of the things where she wanted to do it because she's like, oh, okay, I got a hundred bucks to spend in the house. That's awesome. That's cool. And we also talk about our dreams and where we are with our progress of those dreams too. So, hey, we're only $50,000 away from paying off our mortgage and that's going to be incredible because I'm going to then figure out how to go part-time and then you know spend more time with you guys. When we talk about those dreams and that aspect, it helps the budget party have, be a little bit more fun. <laughs> so for people that are interested in budget party, what's a little more specifics? And I like how, okay, you talk about the numbers. I like how you talk about the dreams, but what else would you guys go through if someone wants to take a, take a stab at the budget yeah, party? Yeah, sure. So I, the first thing to do is to, you know, I guess, pick your tool of choice, right? So for us in the beginning, we were just using a spreadsheet and that was fine. You know, spreadsheets are are good ways to do it. Uh, Over time, we got into some online tools. Mint became our budget tool of choice because it helped to sync up our accounts. So it takes up all of our checking accounts, credit card accounts, and then syncs them up into the tool. So whatever we end up spending that month, it goes into the tool and we can figure out, you know, how much we spend, where we need improvement, how much we can spend in the future. So using tools like that made things a lot easier. But even before that, it's just deciding why you need to meet for your financial Mm. review or your budget party. What is the purpose? Because if you don't have a purpose or a why, like you said in the beginning, you're going to lose your interest in doing it at all. Like if if, if you don't have a goal or something you're striving for, then it's going to be difficult to meet. So make sure that you have a goal and your spouse has a goal and then you have the our goal where it's like, okay, this is the reason that we're doing this because by meeting and by making a plan, we're going to become, you know, consumer debt free, or we're going to pay off our mortgage, or you're going to 
be able to figure out how we can live on one income and you'll be able to stay at home with our children. And, that, and that'll, that'll be part of your goal. Whatever that goal is that is inspiring both of you, that needs to be at the forefront of all those meetings, why we're doing this. So, you know, setting that goal, picking a tool that makes it easy, and then, you know, being consistent with it is really huge because yeah. if you do it too infrequently, it's going to become a chore and you're not going to actually make any progress. So making it consistent then also having fun with it, right? You know, so throw the pizza in there, have some beers, have some wines, whatever, you know, have a visual representation of your goal. Like if you want to have that on a whiteboard that says, hey, we've got $50,000 left and you could cross it off and you could do that together and have some fun with it. Or like one of those big thermometers where you, where you draw mm-hmm. in like the sales goal and see where you are. And if you have kids, involve them in the process too. They can do the coloring and they can see where it is. Then you're having conversations with your kids about, why mom and dad are meeting and why you're moving towards these goals. So that when they get older, they're going to say, well, I want to be debt free or I want to pay off my mortgage like mom and dad did. That would be cool. So mm-hmm. involve the family, make it fun. And above all, just make sure that you have that goal set out there because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're going to lose your mojo. Right. Yeah. What did you guys find was the sweet spot in terms of consistency? For us, it's monthly, but I break that by talking to her about money way too much. And she reminds me, hey, dude, let's save that for the budget party. I don't need to hear about money every day. I know you talk about it all day long with your with your new job. So l- limit that because I'm getting annoyed. Overall, like if, I, if, if I'm smart, I remember to save the important things for once a month for us to do our review. That being said, I go and look at the numbers every morning and make sure that the transactions are in where they need to be. I use the tool. I probably spend five minutes in the morning just to go over some transactions and see if there's any, you know, false charges or things that shouldn't be on there anymore. And I sort of try to play like house CFO, you know, to help out the process. Cause mm-hmm. I know that she doesn't want to yeah. do it and she appreciates that I do do it, but she also needs to, and wants to be a part of all decision-making process. And that's a big part of the partnership too, is you know, I'm happy to do sort of the calculations and make sure everything fits perfectly. But our once a month meeting is where we make these big decisions. What are we planning to do with a new car in the future? What are we planning to do with our kids' college savings? Things like that. So we leave the big decisions to once a month, but Andy does the the grunt work uh, every morning uh, when he wakes up uh, to make sure everything's lining up. Good. So I want to move on to talking about as humans, we like to be fulfilled and do worth our worthwhile work, like what you've transitioned to do. So another word is flourish. We like to flourish. And money can be seen as the end goal. Like I want to save a million bucks. I want to become, I mean, in the financial independence world, a lot of times our goal is I want to have X amount so I can live off this passive income. Yeah. Something that I had a really good learning lesson last year is I've always been goal oriented. I played sports my entire life and just in the business world. But I I signed up to do a full Ironman the day my second daughter was born. I did it because I knew I want like physical fitness keeps my mind sharp every morning. And I with two kids, I want to make sure that I was still sharp with the family. But I I made a commitment that I'd do it in the morning before the kids would get up, which with a baby is never but anyhow made you. But it was also I would be home. I told myself I'd be home at 530 every day. So I trained for this thing for 12 months. And then I went down to Kentucky and the swim was canceled. Mm. So like, in my mind, I'm like, I, my end goal is to do this race and be an Ironman. 
And the day before the swims canceled, I text a business coach of mine or more so a life coach. I'm like, oh my God, this is brutal. I want to fly home. I'm sick and this is terrible and da da da. And he like texts me back and I'll never forget. He's like, you're ready to go the distance. You're prepared to go the distance. You're just not going today. And I learned so many valuable lessons along the way from training. And what I had thought the end goal of doing the race was going to be the big climactic single event. But since then, I've just started really looking at the journey as learning lessons along the way. I love that. I think that's beautiful, man. Yeah. And so my question for you is you're doing some cool things. You're spending time with your family. You're a business guy, but yet you're spending time with your family. And it's really admirable. How have you been able to like, as a number guy, like not just being obsessed about that end goal, paying off the mortgage, because sometimes in tendencies, if someone's paying off their mortgage, all of a sudden they're working more, they're doing more, and you're not showing those behaviors. You're, you're, you have a balance there. So it's kind of a long-winded answer is how do you, what role does money play in allowing you to flourish? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say that uh, I'm, I might be hiding it pretty well because uh, <laughs> the whole work-life balance thing is something that I'm always working on. Uh, as a new entrepreneur, I had taken on way too much in January and February because I was so excited about it that I put way too much on my plate. I said, when, when I'm an entrepreneur, I'm owning my own schedule. I'm going to pick the kids up twice a day, twice a week from school. I'm going to let you have two nights alone, Nicole. I'll take care of the kids. I'm going to do two podcasts. I'm going to do a write for this group. I'm going to do this extra work. I'm going to take on more freelance writing work. And then January came, I, I quit my job and I was so excited about it. And two weeks passed by and I started my business and then boom, I realized, oh my God, I cannot do all these things that I've committed to, whether it's my role as being the best dad possible or, you know, the, the husband that's always there that, that plans the epic date nights or the entrepreneur that figures it all out and figures out how to make six figures in the first year. It's, it's not possible. Or it wasn't possible for me. I put way too much on my plate. And it's because I've credit, sort of created this ideal of what a man needs to be. They need to be a father who's always there, that's there for everything. Mm -hmm. a, a husband that thinks of the incredible things to do for his wife before she even thinks of them. Uh, an entrepreneur that makes great money and that everybody is able to go on vacations every year. I couldn't have it all. I mean, maybe some people could have it all. Uh, but to your point about the the journey, I think that it really is the key. If I if I am automatically got it in January when I started this business for the first time, what fun yeah. would that be? Right? Totally, I mean, and yeah, what yeah. learnings would I really have? And what goals yeah. would I then have? So right at that point, I, I've had some little panic, little panic attacks and figured out, okay, I either need to dial back on what's reality or outsource more or just have some tough conversations. And I, I did all of those things. I figured out how to get some more help how to apologize to some people that I promised that I would do some things for. And I'm still figuring out how to create a schedule that works. But lately, I would say the first week of March, I was like, I've got this down. I'm, I'm, this is great. This is going to be a great life. And then all of a sudden COVID-19 comes along and says, oh, hey, you got to yeah. stay indoors and your kids are out of school for the rest of the year. So figure that out. <laughs> So yeah, man, I I don't I don't think that I've got it figured out. I think that um uh, it's a it's a work in progress always, 
And I'm just blessed to have a, a wife that is super patient and loves me, loves my kids <laughs> and has, and yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm working on giving myself some grace as well and practicing some daily things that, that help me get there. It's like journaling is fantastic. Doing meditation in the morning is fantastic. Getting a little exercise and then just being able to breathe and say, hey, you know what? It's part of the journey and have fun with it. Because mm-hmm. if you're not having fun with it, why are you doing it? Yeah. I mean, there's so much in there. And for any business owner, entrepreneur, it's hard for people to embrace the journey. But I like how you're you're reiterating the importance of embracing the journey because that's where the value is. And something that a mentor of mine has been sharing with me is some learnings from the Stoic philosophy and a quote, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something to the regard of the obstacles in the way become the way. Mm. And that's really resonating with me because I mean, COVID-19 is impacting us all and me being a stay-at-home full-time dad right now and still trying to do everything else. And, and it sounds like, again, two short months, you have all these things going on and you're starting to get a grasp on it. You're smiling. And and so I appreciate your, you just seem like an overall nice oh, guy. But uh, That's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but I think that that perspective helps you become more resilient and get through those tough times. Yeah. It's, well, it's tough to remind yourself too, because I, I'm a goal-oriented guy. I like setting those big goals, like pay off your mortgage or whatever, you know, do all those cool things. And yeah, when adversity comes along and it messes up your plan, you're like, well, no, 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 no. I had it written down. It was the goal. I wrote it down. Why is this, yeah. why is this happening? It's all about priorities too. I try to put my family first and, you know, a, a great guy, uh, another podcaster that I really like listening to is John Froman. He uses this saying, I'm a family man with a business and not the other way around. I'm not a businessman with a family. And right. so if I try to remember that, and I, I love that, I love that quote, that saying that he does is, is that I got to put my family first and then, you know, make sure that those are prioritized before I execute and try to be a great entrepreneur or anything like that, because it's all about, it's all about family for me. It's all about the, the reason yeah. I'm doing all this is all about family. So yeah, that's, it's a good reminder. I think it's why you're smiling during this time. It's why you're able to pivot. And I have to thank you though for that having him on your podcast because that's where I first heard of Front Row Dads is on your podcast and I've been consuming his podcast since oh, he's then great, isn't he? and he's so yeah. good and I mean as a business owner as a male as a guy in finance it's like your role is to even though like when I can zoom out I'm like oh you got to be a good dad and I feel like I've always, I've been a good dad but have I been his word Front Row Dad right I don't know but so I've been listening to that since January. And then COVID-19 happens. And then I'm, beco- I'm challenged with being a stay-at-home dad. And the first two days, I was like resisting it all. And then like the front row dad just came in and I've just em- been embracing it. And it's been the best like four weeks. It's sad to say it's the most time I've ever spent with my kids, full, full days. And I talked about that Springsteen video we made. That was because it's like, you know what? I'm going to be a front row dad. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I've learned a lot from him too. Yeah, he's a fantastic guy. And yeah, I think uh, any of the other fathers listening right now, I think would get a lot, a lot from that show. Yeah. So we're coming to uh, our time here. But so we've been talking a lot about the journey, entrepreneurship, you pivoting, paying off your house so that you can live those values of being with your family and having that control. My next basically final question is about delayed gratification. So delayed gratification, there's so many different contexts we can go on this here. But from your perspective, being a father, being a business owner, being a financially interested individual, say high saving rates, 
where's the balance for you on delayed gratification? And the question is stemming from, I've met a lot of people at 65 years old here in Canada who are retiring and they've been promised this glory golden years, as they actually call it, and their health has deteriorated. Maybe financial crisis has happened right when they retire. Typically, it's not exactly what it was thought to be, especially when we have an identity loss, like a crisis in our identity. We were Joe the plumber for 30 years, then we'd retire and we're Sudoku guru. So from your context, how do you look at delayed gratification, balancing business, financial independence, family, and so forth? Well, delayed gratification, I guess... I would, as you're, as you're describing some of these individuals and the spots they're in, I mean, yeah, everybody has a choice with the path that they've taken. And sometimes as people have grown up, it's, Hey, work this, work this job, work this career. And then there'll be a golden rainbow at the end. Mm -hmm. I, I, I think I've fallen away from that dream that, Hey, if I work really hard doing something that I really don't like all that much, everything's going to be great in 30 years. I want to I want to live life today. So I guess I'm I don't know, I guess I'm doing less delayed gratification, more figuring out mm-hmm. what makes me happy today. And right, what can yeah. I do to make that a reality today even if it means living on less. Like for example, I I mentioned our high salary over the past 9 years. I'm I'm probably going to make half of that this year, but man, I'm so much happier doing yeah. this type of work that I love than what I was doing before and I hope in the future I'm able to make you know $190,000 again or you know high up there but for now I'm very happy making a lot less money because I'm able to craft my schedule and I'm able to have a little bit more fun with my family and do work that I absolutely love so I don't know if I'm delaying gratification I think I'm trying to find mm-hmm. it today <laughs> Yeah and I think that's good and that's where a lot of this exploration on this my podcast is going to be is, do we need to wait till we're 65 and delay everything until then? And there's always trade-off and you're doing those trade-offs by living on 50%. So you're saying, I'm not going to wait till I'm 65 to enjoy myself, but we're just going to live on half the income, so to sure. speak. Sure. And, and I guess to your point, I'm, I'm not doing this uh, irresponsibly. I mean, we've been saving in our mm-hmm. 401k here. I know it's different in, in Canada, but uh, our, our retirement savings plan here in the US for quite a while we have other retirement savings vehicles. And as we look at the balances and where it's projected to go in 20, 25 years, we're looking pretty good. We're going to be very comfortable. But what can we do today to create a life that feels really great with lower expenses so I don't actually have to need as much for retirement? Mm -hmm. If I have no mortgage now, I'm not going to need to pay for a mortgage when I'm 65. So I don't need to save as much for retirement. Not that I'm not saving, but I'm going to need to save a lot less because Uh, our expenses are lower. Our our standard of living and what we need to feel comfortable now is a lot less at 38 years old than it is going to be at 68 years old. So I want to try to design a life today that feels really comfortable so that as we get older, and and, you know, God willing, the the business grows and everybody makes more money, but Mm -hmm. I don't want it to be the end all be all. I'd rather keep the schedule the way we like it and keep everybody happy in the family and then figure out where we're going to be. Nice. I love that. Okay. So I said last question, but you just made me think of something. You're 38 (laughs) years old right now. Fast forward, you're 90 years old, sitting on whatever beautiful cottage, beautiful house, beautiful, whatever you are. Looking back on your life, are you going to be thanking yourself that you've already made at the age of 30, 38 that impacted your financial life in some capacity? Mm. So that makes sense. So you're 90 years old. 
Was it the big car you bought or was it something else? What do you think it is? I think it was making the decision to uh, go off on my own and try my own small business. And it's still yet to be determined if it's going to be successful or, or a failure. I've only been at it for two months. Who knows? I might be, you know, looking for a job again in another six months. But the fact that I gave it a shot and mm-hmm. tried it, and right now I'm extremely happy with doing work that I love is an adventure that I'm really excited that I'm, I've gone on. So who's, who's to know if it's going to be successful, if, if blogging and podcasting and online media is going to go away? I, I have no idea. But right now I'm happy and I hope at 90 when I look back and say, hey, that was cool when you went off and did your own thing and were a podcaster. Podcaster's probably not even a thing when you're 90. And, uh, you know, anytime I've taken a big leap in my life, I've been really proud. Like I I joined a cover band when I was 28 just for fun. I went skydiving, uh, you know, just random things like that where I look back and be like, that was cool. You know, I'm glad I really did that. And and this feels like a skydive moment. This feels like a joining, jumping on stage and and being in a cover band, even though you're nervous and you don't really know what people are going to say or or think about you. So anytime I'm taking a big leap like that, I think I'll look back, you know, from 90 years old and say, that was cool. Way to go. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nice. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I have to say, when you're explaining your craziness of January, February, my stomach was like turning because I scheduled a call with you and I missed it. And you're a busy guy. And <laughs> Dude, that's okay. No problem, so, <laughs> man. We made this one happen. Uh, yeah. We got to give um, ourselves some grace as young fathers yes, are trying to do yeah. too much, right? It's all good. Well, I man. appreciate that. So I, I would like you to explain where people can find more about you. And when you're doing that, maybe you can give one book that you really feel has impacted your family life, your financial life, your well-being in, in that realm. So yeah, get, let the listener know where they can find your podcast, your, your writing, and that book. That sounds good. Yeah, my website is called marriagekidsandmoney.com. It's a, I'm proud to call it an award-winning site. And yeah. I have a podcast as well. It's called Marriage, Kids, and Money. So if you're in this podcast player right now listening to this awesome show, type in Marriage, Kids, and Money, and you'll be able to find it there. It's got a picture of my mug on it with my with my family. And if I had to throw out a book that I really love that's helped me in my journey, I would say The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. It is a book about taking small incremental steps on a daily basis to get to the larger goals uh, that you have for your life. So that's all about what we talked about today, not just saying, hey, I want to be a millionaire tomorrow or I want to pay off my mortgage tomorrow. Like what can you do? What are the small things that you can do on a daily basis to improve your financial life? your physical life, your spiritual well-being, all these important things you're trying to do in life, but taking it one small step at a time. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's relieving to read a book like that. So cool. I highly recommend that one. Yeah. Oh, nice. That, yeah. That, that's a great book. So I encourage everyone to check out your podcast. I really enjoy your podcast. And I know you have your Facebook group, the Thriving... Yes. Thriving, Thriving Families Family. Facebook group. Yeah. So it's a group of 750 families that are in there that are just trying to do the same thing, trying to help other families thrive and get to the next level. So yeah, you can find that at marriagekidsandmoney.com slash community. All right. Well, once again, Andy, thanks so much for joining me and uh, we'll chat soon. All right. Thanks, Sean. Have a good one. Thank you for tuning in to the Most Hated Effort Podcast. If you're enjoying the content, please leave me a review on iTunes. I greatly appreciate it. Well, now it's time for me to get the F out of here. 